Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Hey. Hey, hey guys. Good to see that you was guys. inspired. That was inspired. So I got an inspirational show for you, Chuck. Are you okay. ready for this? Oh. Yeah, I am. So in night, I got sober in 1996. Okay. Um, one of the things that had that had died in me, not only songwriting had died long before, like in 92, 93. Excitement. Excitement about music died just after that. Like, you know, Nirvana and Nirvana and Plug was like the last thing I appreciated of music. And then I went to this dark hole for like two years of drugs and homelessness. Mm. And I didn't listen to music at all. I only listened to like talk radio. And because I was living in a car most of the time. Did you listen to Mr. KFI? I listened to John and I remember when John and Ken were newbies on the radio. I, oh. I listened to Howard Stern. I listened because I was wandering around all day and night. And, okay. and I listened to just only talk radio. And I didn't go to shows because I was embarrassed. I had no front teeth. And people didn't want to see me anyways. Right. Okay. And so. Wait, so, so music. What, what year, that was 93 ish? No, 93 is when I stopped caring about being a musician or writing songs or making records. But then, probably, this is about 95. All of the, like, I just stopped listening to music. I didn't like music. Music depressed me. I didn't, and when I would listen to it, like, at, say, Frenchie's house or something, I wouldn't like it. I don't like listening to music. It was just a painful experience because this one thing that was so important to me was now dead. I was so disconnected from the spirit of life that music had no effect on me. Mm. Right. And I knew it and I just didn't listen to music. So I started working at Millie's when I got sober and they played music constantly in the restaurant and I started to get used to it. And I remember something was playing and I was probably four months sober and I just started to feel that feeling of how you love music and how you just become obsessed with something or, or you want to hear the song again. And it yeah. was Radiohead, Fake Plastic Trees. Uh, good one. I said to the guy I was working with, Campbell, like, what, what is that? And I thought it was David Bowie for some reason. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'd never heard Radiohead. They had just, that was their second record. So they came along when I was in the darkness, let's say. So, mm -hmm. and I just, and that was the first record I bought sober, the Benz by Radiohead. And I started listening to music. And so from that reawakening of loving music again, came the bicycle thief, right? Came, mm. became me playing music with Josh Klinghoffer and writing songs and making a record. So we make this record and it was supposed to come out on Golden Voice Records, and then Golden Voice went bankrupt because the first Coachella was such a huge bomb, right? Nobody <laughs> came, right? right? And so then it didn't come out. It was coming out. We were a band, and then it didn't come out, but they had pressed up copies, and then, and then it took two more years for it to really come out in 2001, and by that time, Josh and I weren't getting along, and it was just, he didn't want to, 
he wanted to make another record right away. And I was like, no, we need to like get this out to the people. And so it was this kind of discombobulated thing. So then it, Josh quit the Bicycle Thief right when the album really came out. And I went on tour with a bunch of friends of mine. Pete was in it. Um, this girl, uh, Eric Avery was in it from Jane's Addiction. But it just wasn't me and Josh, right? And right. So, so it's just crazy. It's coming out again now, a third time. <laughs> and we just saw the vinyl got delivered today. And we, uh, Josh and I were on a Zoom call with the record company that's putting it out. And it's, it's really like a record that never came out. Like some people have it and know about it, but it really never came out. And so it's, <laughs> so, and when it started this conversation, me and Josh, because we had to talk about it a lot today in the last few months. It's a record about recovery, right? It's a record about overcoming. It's a record. It's like, you know, it's, it's about this subject that we talk about on the podcast all the time. And, and I started thinking, you know, Steve Earle told me it was great. And like all these people that I really respect told me it was great. And I, I, I didn't know because it seemed like a failure to me. It, did, it was supposed to come out, then it didn't come out, then it came out two years later, then there wasn't even a band, then it was kind of over. So it was always <laughs> this kind of bittersweet thing that this great record got made about me getting sober and what your thoughts are when you're getting sober and when you feel like a loser, but you feel hope and all this kind of stuff and now it's coming out again and it's just it's kind of a beautiful thing but it's coming out in the middle of the coronavirus so we can't even play it <laughs> but we okay, were supposed bob i told you that bicycle thief is one of the best things you've ever done if not yeah. the best thing you've ever done and it's an amazing well, it's like a separate i think of it as like separate yeah but it's, it's about got its, it's, got its own identity and its own sound and with josh bloom and you know that team of yeah songwriters and recorders and it's just so amazing. It's amazing. It, it I love is, it. It I is a great it. record. I mean, I know, but it's a set. It's not like Felony Sponsor or it's not like solo stuff I do. It's a separate thing. So we started talking about why it's so special. And the fact is there are not that many good records made about recovery. Oh, that's There's a true. lot of great <laughs> records made about getting high. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But it's a really, it's a really hard thing to write songs about the uh, what sobriety is without sounding cliched or corny or lame yes that's another word that so i we started listing the records that are about recovery that people may or may not know are about recovery um one is blood sugar sex magic by the red hot chili peppers there are so many songs on there that are about getting sober the other one is tomorrow shines bright by mike mart that's all about recovery go. and right all written in recovery and so is the sweet and low so is sweet low and sweet yeah sure there's songs about recovery there yeah 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 steve earl steve earl had an album called the other kind that he says we wrote when he was sober at one time or another i love that record lou reed wrote a whole album about getting sober called new sensations but but there's really there's it's very few and far between that there are really good wreck ball and chain is about getting sober by social distortion by mike ness 
but there's really not that many great records made about recovery. And I just want, I thought we'd just talk about it. Why is it? Is it something that you can't, is it something so, that you can't come up with a unique perspective about it? Right. You have to disguise this new beginning that you've experienced. You have to disguise this in a song, in a poem. You have to hide things. It's like a very deep and profound thing, but you don't want to come right out and write a record. But see, that's the, I decided not to hide it because I felt like Lou Reed, yeah. I felt like Lou Reed wrote a song about heroin that probably caused the death of thousands of people. You can't blame him on, you know. Yes, I mean? you can. No, you yes, can. you fucking can. No. Then you can't. can't blame Trump about what he does. No, he can't. made the most romantic one-sided version of what heroin is. I never shot heroin because of that song. It made it look so desirable. It made it look, look so cool and so hip that I believe thousands of people got on heroin because uh, of it, myself included, that was very much an influence in that decision. I think if anything, he made it so real and so depressing that you almost did not want to do it. But Keith Richards made it was the one that made it look fun and, you know, yep. rolling into airports. Okay, and, you know, so rolling. that's the other one I'll go after. Keith Richards, Lou Reed, uh, Aerosmith to a certain extent, all romanticized drug use that led to young people really wanting to do drugs and thinking it was cool to do drugs. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying the young people don't have a responsibility in it, but the songwriters and artists who exploited that do have a responsibility in it. And then to turn around and get sober and then disguise the fact that they're sober, which I think is just strictly a decision about economics because it's way cooler to think of a rock star fucked up than it is to have them talking about being sober. Yeah, I think people hide behind that. But yeah. luckily enough, people I respect didn't. Anthony didn't. Um, Steve Earle didn't. Lou Reed kind of did. Like I have to tell people, you want to hear a recovery record, listen to New Sensations by, by Lou Reed. And he doesn't overtly say it, but he talks about how everything is new. Or Blue Mask. That's even even more. That 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 album's great. Uh, that, that's always a little bit more interesting to me. I mean, though it should be poetic and it should be it should be done because you know and I know that if we just say, "Hey, it's so good, we stopped doing drugs," I've heard so many bad sober <laughs> oh songs God. that are just so uninspired, so uninspired, and just so. I knew there's, that you there's some Christian songs that it's like if you can't make it music, go to a Christian label, write it on the nose. I liked the, the U2 songs that they did that were not, that didn't say, oh, I love Jesus, but it was like I still right. haven't found what I'm looking for. I thought, I think that's that's what you guys as Bob artists and I used do. to cover a song that was called, uh, that was called, uh, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, and it was disguised. It was a Christian song, but it was disguised so much that nobody even knew it was a Christian song when Bob yeah, and I Yeah, it was it. about the rapture. I wish we'd rapture. all been ready for the rapture. <laughs> <And> we, <laughs> we hardly even knew. I, I mean, look, look at the opposite of that my dad was all of a sudden got into leonard cohen thinking hallelujah was a christian song because yeah. some other kids group recorded some of the verses and he didn't you know so i that's that's the opposite <laughs> nobody can listen to a song that says one day at a time we got one day yes at you a can time. watch this watch this if you're clever <laughs> enough and you're a good enough songwriter give it away give it away give it away now that's, that's an perfect. aa slogan at the core of aa 
and he sings it and every kid in the world heard it that that I, I i'm sorry it's not one day at a time but it is give it away you got to give you, it away you, exactly you got to give correct. it away you're correct I, you know never even i mean i know what it's about and i just thought that what did you think the song was about mike you're in aa it's giving away so I, you can well, keep it i did know that but i just didn't think about it of course <laughs> that is a you're that's a great example too by the way anthony a, wrote the greatest song. line about being sober better than anything on the bicycle thief and it's just one line he said i have a bad disease from my brain is where i bleed yeah that's a great line about alcoholism that like so you can do it if you're good enough clever enough and dedicated enough to not write a cliche oh it's so good to not take drugs yeah 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 well and, and look at look how much better those songs are than which i thought knock me down was a great song but it was a little too on the nose you know yeah, it, it you know the the mellow ship in in the slinky my slinky mellowship in b major whatever that song is i got a mellowship i got a fellowship i got a you know that yeah yeah oh that stuff is is freaking fantastic but even that one was a little bit too on the nose because i was still getting loaded when i was listening to it but but well, you know you what go. i'm saying so i just i just wonder you know and and it goes generation after generation to little peep only recently last year celebrating dying of drugs live on youtube it's just unbelievable how romantic drug taking is in the music culture and how lame sobriety is looked at in the music culture and the songwriting community. I think, I think people need to try a little harder or express a little deeper this thing that happens to us when we get sober. Because if you say, and both of you have said, it is the most significant thing you ever did in your life getting sober, how come you can't write a song about it? You know what I mean? Right. But there are thousands of songwriters that are sober that just can't do it. You can't be, can't disguise it well enough. I understand disguising it uh, to a certain extent, but I mean, Anthony's very in your face. Give it away. You got to give it away. You got to give it away. It's perfect. Man. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I just think that, that people the anonymity of the program allows people to shuck their responsibility I, I really believe that i believe in a time where everybody gives away all their information in their personal lives to millions of people ha have access to everything about you i can find out everything about you guys in like two hours for two dollars and 99 cents for sure because you posted it somewhere on on this digital wonderland that we have but yet you can't say you're sober i mean come on yeah i don't you know we don't hide it but a lot of people do when it becomes driven by money and not by art when 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 lou reed was writing what he was writing and the rolling stones were doing what they were doing it was taboo and it was what they were living it wasn't the idea wasn't to go after something so if you're living sober that's a great place to be what, what but to be done well i hadn't thought of the chili peppers i hadn't thought of them in that way as far as how well he did take something so obvious and just like slid it under my nose steve earl has a great line about how tenacious drug addicts are it says there are those that break in band i'm the other kind baby i'm the other kind like there's 
there's tenacity in being sober. There's perseverance. There's redemption. There's all these beautiful things that are right for subjects of songs, but nobody does it. Eminem's got a song called uh, um, Not Afraid. That was a pretty big song, Not Afraid. It's about him getting clean. In fact, he even says in the song he raps some kind of thing about... Yeah, he talks pretty openly. He's one of the few. So maybe it's a good, you know, maybe it's turning. People aren't going to be bored and turn their face away when they have to face this shit, you know. And Well, you, know, you need to not write boring songs. Here's the thing about the boring songs. I, I, I hear boring songs all the time. Boring songs about self-pity. Boring songs about love. Boring songs about the weather. The, most most people are not very most people are not very good songwriters <laughs> right you know there's a song on the bicycle thief record called it's raining right and and josh and i were talking and i said i wonder if there's a way and that, and that song is the kind of the test i said i wonder if there is a way to write a song about a cliched subject like it's raining outside right, which it, it goes back to New Orleans, has It's Raining by Irma Thomas, which um, uh, uh, the piano player wrote that wrote Southern Skies or Southern Nights. What was the piano player guy, the songwriter of all those songs in New Orleans? Uh, oh. Fuck, he just died a couple years ago. Um, Elvis Costello and him made a record. Anyways, he wrote that song in like 1959. There's been a million songs. There's a million country songs about rain. And I said, I wonder if I can write a song that doesn't sound cliched that has rain in it. And that's what that is. The song called It's Raining. And it's really about listening to a song about rain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you bored when you were writing the song? Were you bored listening to the song about rain? Or no, I love that song. It's raining by Irma Thomas. I love it. But you know how many how many songs are there? Rain. Google search right now. Songs about rain. I bet you there's fifteen thousand of them. But songs mm. about sobriety, songs about recovery, songs about turning your life around a magical miracle that happens randomly in the universe to thousands of people every day. Nobody seems interested in writing songs about it. It's interesting right. to me. Well, well, you know, if we are the one in 10, then that your audience is your core audience is 10% of the population. But if you make the song good enough, give it away. Didn't just go over with the sober crowd. Everybody bought that. Yeah. So it has so neither it has, did Ball and Chain. There's a hundred there's hundred and fifty songs about rain. Hundred and fifty three <laughs> songs about rain. Is that how it? many songs how many songs about recovery? Google that. Bob, you're one of them. You're you're one of the fifty three. If you hadn't written that song, there would only be hundred and fifty two. <laughs> so so damn it, Bob. There's gotta be more than that. There's thousands of well, we're not going by all the bad songwriters that don't make rec don't put records out that are in that. I'm gonna thing. write a song about rain tonight. <laughs> and it's, it's gonna a be hard horrible. Thing. How about a song about love? Love is a hard one. That's why in the the you brought up U2. I'm not a big U2 fan, but I am a U2 songwriting admirer. And that song, One Man Come in the Name of Love, the, when I heard that opening line, I thought it was Jesus because I knew they were Jesus guys, right? And mm -hmm. then he turns it on its ear that it's about Martin Luther King, but it really is about Jesus. It's, and, yeah, it's it's got, about 
and it's got the word love like a hundred times in a song and it's not bad and it's not boring. It's a really right. good song. Neat guitar sounds, well-produced, good singing. It, it's a, just a good song. On and top then, of having cool subject matter, it's just a good song. But it's got a cliched subject matter, love and spiritual love. There's too many Jesus. songs. They don't even know how many songs there are about love. There's too many of them. <laughs> what do you mean the google search yeah there's just like it's on, <laughs> like blew in, up the computer there's infinity infinity songs about love, about love there's just too what many. about in other words what about, there's too many <laughs> what about sobriety google songs about sobriety tonight the bottle let me down yeah that's a good no, that's but that's, not that's really kind of a pro drinking song i hate to tell you i think it's yeah, about oh, the I end bet of you it. there's just as many songs working. about drinking tonight the bottle let me down and let your memory come around. No, he's drunk, but he just can't drink enough to make the girl's memory go away. Right. And that's the end of it. That's when it doesn't work. <laughs> Is that, oh, no, but God. I think Merle kept drinking for like a good 20 more years after that. Good Merle, Merle, you know, that's another thing about recovery. What is recovery? Because... Willie Nelson was a horrible alcoholic who abused his first wife and their, his, his first children, who are probably now in their 50s and 60s, were just traumatized by his drunkenness. He switches to marijuana. He never behaves that way again. He becomes this angel saint, beautiful man. And then when Merle Haggard's like just drunk and out of his mind lost, Willie introduces him to weed. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, then Merle, man. and then Merle lives happily ever after for like another 20 years happily married but you bit. forget Willie recorded country man and that that reggae record shouldn't have existed Willie Nelson's yeah, there reggae is a record lot, there's, a lot of, there's a lot in the Willie catalog that we could have done without yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, when you, but when you're that inspired. stoned you don't know you don't know what's right? good or bad yeah. <laughs> that's true you know it's good that right? he got he got Towns Van Zandt all that money for covering his song you know but it probably killed him it's not the money that probably got, you know imagine the checks he got because that was like the number one album that was top ten pop album Towns Van Zandt probably got checks like he had never gotten before. Right, probably killed him. You're right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and that's so Willie killed Towns Van Zandt, oh, but he saved man. Merle Haggard. <laughs> uh, fair trade. Why? It, it, here's this thing: when you point out our interconnectivity in a way that, like I just did about Lou reading the song "Heroin Leading to People Experimenting with Heroin That Might Have Died of It," right? You guys are like, no, no, you can't blame Lou Reed. Yes, yeah, sure you can. No, you it's, can. There's an interconnectivity. If there's a positive interconnectivity, which is recovery and helping people and our primary purpose is to help alcoholics achieve sobriety, why can't we accept that, yes, there is a negative connectivity? I, every time I hear Sublime, every time I think about them, I think I contributed in some small or medium way to Bradley Knoll's death. There's no doubt about it. He looked up to me. He liked me. I was pro-heroin. I was always talking about heroin. He's a little kid, impressionable. First time he's in Hollywood. Yeah, I had it. Now, did I put the needle in his arm and make him die? No. But I had some small piece of responsibility in because we're all interconnected. You can't just take the, only the positive interconnectedness, you guys. 
You have to accept no. the responsibility We're only for the negative through sobriety. There's no, there's no, there was no sobriety. You weren't really responsible, or well, I, I, I don't wasn't mind really being responsible, responsible for partially for Bradley Knowles' death. I can live with that because I'm, I'm In sorry. Retrospect. I'm, I'm remorseful. I'm remorseful. I'm sorry. I, I'm trying to redeem myself from that. I think I have, and I do what I do partially motivated by the negative influence i was on people around me not just being rude or being a bad boyfriend but really the person you were and how negatively you you infected the the world around you huh right i I believe that that. i like i like that that. i like it yeah that that is a really interesting thought i stopped by to see noodles the other day and he accused me of the same thing you you did bob of being like this eternal optimist or like being like too relaxed about something. And I, that's probably why I've swung so far the other direction because I was a negative creep all the time. That's good though. If you would have told me to kill yourself, if you would have said, I'm going to kill myself, I would have said, cool. I would not have tried to help. If you said you wanted to quit dope, I'd go, what are you thinking? Right, you, you know, so it's like I, I did enough damage out there with but whatever. But little- I don't regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. This is a this. Th- see, I take the things in AA literally, and I think other people just talk about them. Mm. I literally don't regret the past, but I own it. Right, I, and you that's can't what causes not. change. I, I introduced that's- dozens of people to heroin. I was the first person to get them heroin and and introduce them to it just like top jimmy is the first person that introduced it to me right there's a responsibility in that you i mean aa people can say there isn't but i just don't know how you can then go out and do 12-step work what's the fucking point nobody influences anybody we gotta give it away give it away everybody's just these unique special vacuums of will that isn't interconnected it just doesn't make logical sense that you can help somebody get sober and you can support somebody and be a positive influence on them in sobriety, but you're not a negative influence and you're not a, a negative uh, uh, kind of influence, uh, 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 part of people's using. It just does it's never made sense to me, P- partly because probably I'm a narcissist and I think too much of myself and too much of my influence on people in the negative. <laughs> but Buddy Arnold said an interesting thing. Our job, he said, this is when I was working on math. He said, our job is to make recovery look as hip as getting loaded. Ah. And I was like, that, I remember when he told me it the first time, I was like, that's fucking impossible. <laughs> All right. But to say right? you can't go out and do 12-step work because you've had a physical and mental and spiritual change, because it, what I was trying to say is you're not connected back then. We're, we are responsible for our actions, what we did, and we're, we're to make amends for these irresponsible days of our, our youth where we were influencing other people and giving them dope and doing all this stuff. And we can't turn our back on that, but we are connected now. So that's where the 12-step work comes in. That's what I believe. I think that you know, that we are connected more, you know, I think it's a convenient thing to use the connectedness. I was, we were connected, Mike, (laughs) you and me were connected. We were connected to our dope dealers. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's a cop out to say, Oh yeah, I really wasn't responsible totally because back then. Yeah, I was. And the actual truth of the law is you are responsible for your actions, whether you're 
connected or not connected. But you said <laughs> you, know you mean? said you said you but, didn't know how people could go out and do twelve step work now with that. It was like a um, no. I'm just saying that I think it's hypocritical to hypocritical, like only yes. see the connectivity or influence in the recovery world and not see it in the polar opposite in the using world. And that that I believe that's what Bill Wilson was saying. That you take you take responsibility from what you've done, and that should be good enough to motivate that you do twelve step work. But if you just say I wasn't responsible for when I was using or anything I did or anybody I punched or anybody I introduced to heroin because I was on I was in my disease, and it just doesn't. Then why would you do twelve step work? It's this. AA is very Calvinistic and, and Christian in its redemption. Calvinistic Methodist Christianity is you do good works to get to heaven. Well, in this case, you kind of are trying to do good works to even out your inner world. Because I, I do believe that it does haunt you if you don't try to do some good in the, on the positive side of things. Right. Well, don't when don't I was, you just feel better when you do good? I mean, there's something about when I do things. Not, not always. <laughs> stuff. I feel good when I when I make a a, a situation more positive. But no, I know. Well, when it when you have a good outcome, when you have a bad outcome, I had a client kill himself yesterday. That wasn't oh, the greatest outcome. Shit. I don't feel good about that. No, no right? but but you probably would have felt worse if you would have been a dick about it or ignored it or just put it off because you wanted no, to No, I think home. if I would have never met him, I'd feel better. I wouldn't feel anything <laughs> at all. <laughs> right? Well, but you wouldn't know about it. It'd just be another it just, death. I, it popped up on my phone, and I was like, shit, I know that kid. And then Chrissy had to remind me, like, it was like two years ago, three years ago. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. Oh, my God. And, and, and that kind of onslaught of, of the negative part of the disease when you're trying to help and trying to get people in the boat or whatever you call it, 12-step work or get people to the other side. And so few are at this point. It was much more rewarding like in 97, 98, 99, almost everybody who tried to get into the boat got in the boat one way or another. <laughs> right very few does, people died very few it does people seem died like there was a lot more success back then doesn't it there really well there was look at the three of us well, yeah, right? yeah but i thought that was maybe euphoric recall i think it's a statistical fact like 100,000 people are dying of drugs and another 40,000 of suicide that's 140,000 if you go back to 97 those numbers are nowhere near that nowhere near no they were, yeah I, I hear you. Right? So, um, you know, last week, this kid that worked for me died of an accidental combination of, of psych drugs, benzos, and alcohol. How the fuck does that happen? Oh, and That's was he... This is what's so gross about the internet, too, is you could probably Google that. Of, this is what I've got. How do I mix these things so I don't vomit and how I keep it down and how oh, I allow it to God in heaven. I don't think that kid wanted to kill himself. I think he just died accidentally. He's not a kid. He's like 40. <laughs> this kid, this 40-year-old kid. Well, the other kid was 27. It's like, that's so fucked up. So sad. I thought of his grandma. I talked to his grandma a bunch. And it's like, oh, shit. Oh, this is a fucked up thing. And every individual one, right? 
it's 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 just amazing and i i you know i'm not saying that you're wholly responsible but but we're all interconnected i just see the interconnectedness of it all and i see this divisive thing as a a proclamation that we're not connected we're not i have nothing to do with you you disagree with me you don't share the things that i believe in so we are not connected and it's this violent emotionally violent absolute uh kind of pushing away of of people right i mean mm. it's crazy i don't want to get political but but the fact is uh -oh. we have done everything <laughs> right in california we have done everything right we closed our schools on march 12th we have been socially distancing and wearing masks anywhere you go in southern california people wear masks huntington beach couple don't but for the Except most for part protests. Every, every yep but then the protests yep right and we have the fourth leading infection rate in america we've done everything right it's crazy that we can't say hey maybe these protests had something to do with it you can't say that right now nope i just <laughs> did <laughs> 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 but I mean, so, that, there was absolutely no distancing. There was the passing of products between hands and it doesn't matter. That's not a race thing because it was all races. It was all people, and, you know, but it's also I didn't even see this before. I got on the plane last week to go up to uh, I flew up to a Humboldt. plane. Chuck, you have a death wish. What are you doing? I, I wore an N95 mask, but there was really the yeah, whole have, time. Wasn't it hot and claustrophobic? It's just a San Francisco. And then, oh, an it was, then it was a break, and then it was uh, a little plane into Arcata, and then I spent the week up in Humboldt, and it was beautiful, and spent the time on the river. But there was a guy at the airport that wasn't wearing a mask, and everybody else was. And I so I took a couple pictures of him. You knocked him down and kicked him? He saw me <laughs> taking pictures of him, and then he got on the plane and wasn't wearing a mask. And I took a couple pictures of him on the plane, and then when we got to San Francisco, I tried to take a picture of him in the airport because he wasn't wearing a mask. I just wanted to show people that there are, uh, you know, I didn't do anything with the pictures. But anyway, the guy saw me taking pictures again and just like went and hid behind a pillar in San Francisco airport. And I didn't even notice because I didn't have my glasses on because he was wearing a green hat. And the green hat was, what did it say on it? Trump 2020. Right. And his shirt says, in reality, they're after you i'm just in the way and there's a picture of donald trump his head what in it's reality crazy. they're after so donald you trump is i'm protecting, just in the way it's protecting them from but and, and th that's what got me thinking about what must be in this man's head because he's an older gentleman he's i thought it's almost like he was trying to pick a fight he reminded me of a guy at, at, like at the adam and the ant show that was wearing the black flag kills ants on contact shirt I had that shirt, by the way. I like so, that shirt. So he was he was there spoiling it, but I, I didn't post pictures but because he I didn't purposely, want the backlash. Here's the thing. So I I you know you know what's I took Sydney out to get her out of the house because we're getting a little cabin fever around here. So I took her. I had to go do like four errands. When you got to get you got to get out of the car. You got to put both your masks on. You got to go in the bank. You got to be in the bank six feet apart. Then you got to go in the car and then you take your mask off. Then you go to Rite Aid. I went to the bank. I went to Rite Aid to get Nicaragua gum. I went to the gas station to get gas and I went to the dry cleaners and 
Yeah, four things. So you got to put the mask on, put them back off. Now, all three of us, I think, have had this experience. I've walked up inside, got right to the front doors of Target. I didn't have my mask on. It's so frustrating. You got to walk mm-hmm. back to your car. It's 104 <laughs> yeah. degrees and you got to get your mask. So I started doing this thing when I fucked up and people were really nice to me because Claremont's a nice town. I just put my t-shirt over my mouth and said, oh, sorry, because I was just picking up my dry cleaning one time. And the lady was like, oh, great, no problem, no problem. And I held my t-shirt over my face and my mouth, uh, my hand over my mouth. And so people were so nice to me. So I just said, we had first bought a box of those those shitty looking, you know, regular uh face masks we got a mm-hmm. ton of them so when i when i'm prepared to go out by myself where i don't have to get the kids masks off and on i just keep two in my back pocket when i see somebody i just hold up and say i, I don't know if you want one or not but it's brand new i have it i just i know no one's ever taken it but you can see them if they are going with no mask with a chip on their shoulder the fact that somebody's kind and kind of not not aggressive towards them saying i you know i have an extra mask if you want it mm-hmm. uh, it's like giving somebody a half-eaten hamburger or something. <laughs> you're a sp- yeah i'm, I'm a purposeful liberal spreader yeah, yeah. um evil doer but but so M- mike when you google recovery songs what pops up what are the songs that pop up uh there's lots of songs about getting sober there's eminem comes up a lot i mean his whole album was was i guess what's the album called that's about getting sober uh, is it called relapse uh no it's called he made Change. an album called relapse which i thought whoa that's a that's a whole handful uh, of subject that's matter a, that's a hay and a hoe <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i think no, it's called no changes. i think it's called changes i mean ozzy osbourne has one What's his song called? Maybe it's about him. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you know what? That that stained album was about recovery. That when that big hit stained album came out of yeah, Aaron they, Lewis, the guy was Aaron, What was the big hit by Stained? I remember that. Uh, it was called. Um, I, I can hear it in my head. Yeah, me too. It's been a while. But you. It's been a while. Yeah. Yep, that's the guy. <laughs> and that, and, it, and it is the subject that it's been a while since he's gotten drunk? No, since he had any value. That's kind of like since the he, thing about since it. Since he had any what? Since he thought he had any value, since there was any self-worth. It's been a while since he could say, I love myself. It's been a while since... It, it's, it's, wow, it's look a at sad Chuck song. Yeah, the Chuck stained knows. lyrics. Yeah, brother. Ooh, that's when I <laughs> got sober. music. That yeah. song means something to Chuck. What's that? And song it's means been something a while. to you. You know, uh, Gary Rossington from Ronnie Van Zant's band. I guess they got yeah. they got Rossington a, uh, Collins band. Yeah, yeah. And then there's I just uh, bought that. It's I'm waiting for that from eBay right now. That's singer. amazing. Really? Yeah. I don't even know what it is. And uh, the, Lane the Rossington pros. Collins band. It turns out had four of the original members of Leonard Skinner in it. How crazy is that? Had Alan Collins, um, had Billy Powell, the piano player. Four of the original members of Leonard Skinner are in the Rosington Collins band. I read it because I'm reading a, a, I'm reading it right here. Leonard Skinner. Ooh, turn it up. Yeah. Turn it up. <laughs> yeah, and in here, hat. it talks Dude, about Rosington like Collins Smitty. band. 
And so I bought the record. It's on, <laughs> on its way. And I'm going to hear the recovery song that Gary Rosington wrote within days from the miracle of eBay. <laughs> Fuck, that's awesome. How great is that? Who owns eBay? Uh, Meg Whitman, I thought. The hey, woman that ran for president. Do you think that Leonard Skinner song, The Smell? Is... Ooh, that's my, it's just a cautionary tale. There's a lot of great cautionary tale songs. I don't think the people are sober. They're not talking about recovery. They're not talking about being rocketed to the fourth dimension. But there's definitely that smell is cautionary tale. Yeah. Um, the smell of death surrounds you. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty. Good. That's a pretty bleak statement about an addict. Sure. <laughs> you know the opening line is whiskey bottles and brand new cars. Oak tree are in my way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How fucking great a line is that? Uh, the opening fun. line is whiskey bottles and brand new cars. Oak tree, you're in my way. Yeah, <laughs> that tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole band called Rehab. You're kidding. <laughs> no, Southern Band Rehab. I got to hear that. Two recovering it, the band addicts. is called Rehab? They met in Rehab. Oh, my yeah. God. And uh, their 2000 album called Southern Discomfort featured top I like 15 that. single. I tried drinking Southern Comfort when I was going through my Janis Joplin period. Oh it's some God. tough stuff to get down. That's horrible. That yeah, is some I drank tough liquor. I drank a lot of that. <laughs> it's too sweet. Yeah. It just yeah. then it burns like whiskey. It's just nothing. There's nothing good about it. Mike drank it all the time. I loved it. Yeah. Okay, so if I look up 15 great songs about addiction and recovery, there's the A-Team by Ed Sheeran. There's Dark Times by The Weeknd. There's Sober by Cl Kelly Clarkson. There's Gravity by A Perfect Circle. There's After All I've Lost by somebody named Max Flynn. Never heard of. None of them matter. What about... Really, what none of them matter. You're such a music snob. And I just realized <laughs> I know, that really when, when I was up north, I realized what a music snob I am. And I'm not even as bad as you guys. But I, like, like I the Tiger came on and I, I went to go turn it off down by the river. And they're going, that song's an anthem. And I was like, you guys, oh, you know what? I'm just going to suck it up. I was the, the Tiger. But uh, Kenny Chesney, Demons. Uh, yeah. Kenny Chesney... Uh, no, the other guy is sober. I see him around. Keith Keith Urban is sober. So we are getting into the weeds Peter, with some Peter really bad a, songs. I imagine. <laughs> but no, hey, you know what was a really big hit was Pink's "Sober." Yeah, yeah, but she, she wasn't gets, sober when she wrote it. I think she was. What do you mean she wasn't? I think she, wasn't she want it wasn't it wanting her husband it's to get sober. Wanting, it's about wanting. It's about wanting it. Yeah, I think. Wasn't I think so because I think that was one I think of it's them about wanting her husband to get so much well, Walker. Then every song I ever wrote is about sobriety. Then <laughs> <laughs> wanting to, I'll quit tomorrow. It's my very last. A nail won't fix a broken heart. Mike Mart was writing about recovery in 1982. Yeah, sure. If those count. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I wrote trying to get sober songs. So did Mike. Uh, nothing's perfect is about per yeah that's great great exactly. that's that's about trying that's to get sober that's got a line about smog in it friend of mine was high for years he was high for most of his life one and one never eat two and two never equaled four two and two always equaled five yeah smog seemed a little confused there for a while and <laughs> 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 
Because I never, I was never one, because we're all going to AA. What, Mike, when did you really start knowing about AA? Probably 85, 84, uh, 90, 85? 1981. 81? Yeah, I got two, I got, I had one drunk driving and then I got two in a row and I had to go to meetings in 81. And so I went to my six but, meetings and I always knew that AA was there, but I just was like, I'm not done, you know? So I used for 10 but years. But there was no one you knew there. No, 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 I don't think, no, not really. Because the first, the first AA meeting I went to in Hollywood, I went with Brendan Mullen. Brendan was going. Oh. He, and he never really caught on to it, but then, you know, a lot of people were there. Let me tell you about this story here, this guy, because this guy, and I'll never forget him, but I don't know his name or anything like that, but he was an old alcoholic. And he, and, uh, he says, look, man, if you, if you don't want to go to these meetings, I don't care. I'll sign all your meetings right now. And, and, and the way he made it sound was like, I don't, I, I don't care if you get sober or not. And I, and I, I said, no, I'll go to the six meetings. And I went to the six meetings just because he, he acted like he had something that I did, that I, that I wasn't he had really. Told you, he, had, he used oppositional defiance I, on you. I guess. He told yeah. you not I, to come, so you can't. Exactly. Yeah, it was right. There's <laughs> a little bit of reverse about, psychology. Exactly. Now, wait a minute. Let's just fast forward from 1981 to right now. Mike Mark got three DUIs in the same year, and all he had to do was go to six AA. I know, and oh. pay and pay fifteen. <laughs> I had to pay fifteen hundred dollars. They reduced my public defender got one reduced down to reckless, reckless driving. driving if, right. if I agreed to go to six AA meetings and. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and you understand and, and, that that number guess, is like 150 now. You know what was funny is they sent me to this specific guy. How come you never wrote a song about that guy? I don't know. He's that guy deserves a song. Alive. That's a story. That guy deserves a fucking song. If I remembered his name, I would. So it sounds like a joke to me. <laughs> so I'm gonna go. I I figured we'd end it with I'm gonna go through the bicycle thief songs and tell you what they're about and who they're about because. People never do that. People never explain what songs are about. So there's a song called Hurt, right? The first, the first song is called Hurt, and it was, it was Michael Kelly, as a friend of me and Mike's, and he, he had tried to help me for years, and he, he was really doing like what that guy did to you, Mike. Like, I'd show up at meetings and he'd be say, you still, you still here. You always get like 13 days and then disappear. And he was really, <laughs> he was really pushing my buttons. And I decided you can't hurt me. You can't, I'm going to AA, I'm staying sober. Then when I had like two weeks sober, I was at a Monday night meeting and then they all wanted to go to canners and everybody had decided that I should go to cry help again instead of just sleep on somebody's couch and go to meetings. And they had arranged mm -hmm. it and they were going to take me to cry help. I was like, fuck you. I ain't going to cry help. Fuck you. <laughs> and they were trying to get you I off of remember, their couch. And one guy told me who I still friends with, he said, I'm not going to your funeral, Bob. And I said, good, neither am I. I'll be dead. Who cares? <laughs> right? But good. it was the canners and they're all my best, all my good buddies are trying to get me to go to rehab. And I just said, and Aunt, you said no, and there was no, a couple of people no. that were cool. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> right. And a couple of people were cool. And then we ate and I just said, I just want you guys to know, I'm going to do this a thousand percent. And if I fail, I'm going to kill myself. That's all there is to it. I'm not going to rehab. I'm going to AA every day for the rest of my life. That's it. I'm staying sober. 
And if I can't, I'm just going to kill myself. I, and I believed it in that moment. And both of them just sat there and like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, they knew me. I'm always melodramatic or whatever. But I was so determined to stay sober like I had never been before. And, and you can't, you can't, you can't fuck with that. Once you're deciding, you turn your will and your life over the care of God, however you want to put it, nothing can stop you. And so the song Hurt is about, you can't hurt me, nothing can stop me. And, and it really talks about the wreckage of the past. I, because I had had so many failed relationships and so many of the girls were in AA. Hey, it was kind of hard, Chuck. Do you know that feeling? <laughs> don't know what you're talking about, Bobby. <laughs> Mike, Mike fucking knows. <laughs> Mike you, go to AA and you go to AA, there's like three of your ex-girlfriends there, one of your ex-wives there. You're like, holy shit, I'm only. <laughs> and then I came up with this line, like, I'm just, I'm unbewithable. I'm just like, I can't. These girls are great. I like them all. They're all great people. Like, I'm the one that can't be with somebody, not them. And and being around them in AA made me realize, like, oh, my God, it's not them. It's me. I'm the one that's unbewithable. (laughs) (laughs) Is that in the song, that word? Yeah. It says, you can't. You can't be with me because I'm unbewithable. <laughs> Good for you. That's like a Don King word or something. And, and it was from them, my ex-gals, pals that were in AA at the time. I was just like, these, you know, because they were kind and they were thoughtful and they were forgiving of me. And I was just like, God, like, it's not them. It's me. Because when you go through a series of relationships over a 10-year period of time, you always in the back of your mind blame the other person. But when yeah. it's on the reverse of that, and they're in the AA meeting, and they say to you, just walking in, like, I give you a hug and say, so good to see you, Bob, like, encouraging you to be sober. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing <laughs> what can happen in AA if everybody stops talking about the fucking steps. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's <goddamn>, mind-blowing. Goddamn steps. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. It's program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to talk about it nonstop, 24 hours a day. You can talk about, you know, I realize people are weak-willed and feeble-minded, and they just got to repeat oh things over God. and over again. But, but like, some people it's go just there to so hear cool. That. Two, of my, two of my ex-girlfriends were in the room, and they were very welcoming and encouraging and say, and, you know, one said very matter-of-factly, I, I hope you're serious about staying sober this time. And I said, I am. I am. Right? Mm. Okay. That's way more powerful to me than sitting around with some jackass talking about my character defects. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just, oh, it's far too overemphasized, Chuck. Far too overemphasized. You get, uh, you know, I did the steps in the in the first year. In about fourteen months, I I did all twelve steps. Yeah, it shows. Then I did them again. Then I did them in Al-Anon. The Al-Anon ones are really weird because it's so abstract. Yeah. But. But, and then I did them again and I've done them in NA with, because I was kind of lost. You just, it's the peeling of an onion, but you don't have to talk about it 24 seven. It's just because people don't know how to talk or tell stories. Well, That's why they know. just re, regurgitate it. That was something you told me when I was, I was telling you that, uh, I had a, a sponsee who was, uh, over 20 years sober, who wanted to do another four step. And you said, what is he trying to avoid? And that's what I went back to him with. 
What, what are you trying to avoid that's happening right here, right now, that you want to go back and do something that you know the outcome of? Yes, you should know the issue that's causing you to retreat back to kindergarten. You right. know what well, I mean? And, and, I've, and I've thought about that many times when people, I, I get it, the, the repetition and the, I'm really good at steps and I totally understand them and I've mastered them. It does get, it does get tiring. That's not, Meetings are for a place where we share in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I had, a re- I had a really good friend that helped me. This guy Floyd helped me because, you know, I was just trying to do that with him. And he said, Bob, most of the stuff you're talking about has nothing to do with alcoholism. It has nothing to do with the 12 steps of AA and everything to do with codependency and trauma. And you should see a therapist and you should go to Al-Anon. And I had more <laughs> sobriety than him. And I said, listen to me. Don't you fucking tell me what to do. (laughs) We're going to do this inventory and you're going to sit and listen to it. Then we're going to bullshit our way through it. And we're going to glad hand and pat ourselves on the back about how great we are. Like, just like everyone else does. And he goes, well, I'm not going to sit down and listen to this stuff. You, you know, better than me. Why don't you just read it to yourself? (laughs) (laughs) And I started going to Al-Anon, which led to really greater insight about who I am and why I'm motivated the way, why I do the things that I do. It really did. I mean, it, I didn't stay long. I only went to Al-Anon probably for a year, year and a half, but just long enough to figure out, you know, I'm trying to control everybody and I want outcomes. I want the outcomes I want. Right. And a lot of the AA people that keep going through the steps are just unable to kind of accept like, you don't really have control over people. I don't even have control over my own kids. They're nine and four years old. How do you have control? We don't have control over the coronavirus. We don't have control over anything. But somehow we live in this AA la-la land, fantasy land, that we control everything if we do good and help people and 12 steps and this and that. It's like it's all about control. And Cubby is the one that said, I got control over nothing, nothing, nothing. Right, <laughs> but it's it's just and there's a bunch of songs. There's obviously a song about heroin, which is my my answer to Lou Reed's heroin song. It really is. I wanted to write a song. I was conscious of what I wanted to write. I wanted it to be a rebuttal and a and a and a tearing away of the romanticism of Lou Reed's heroin song, and that's the serial song. Then there's another song about a friend of mine that had tried to get sober a million times and he he was stole a bunch of stuff from me and then i felt like that now we're square the universe is square he stole a bunch from me i stole a bunch from everybody else we're square i wasn't mad at him but i just said you know he asked me to help him for like the 10th time and i'd gotten him into rehab nine times i said you know what you don't work hard enough at this so i got him a bed at claire because i was the map referral source right I got him a bed and I let him spend the night at my house. And I said, you're taking the bus. And I gave him bus fare at, I remember at Baudry and Sunset, right across from the Jack in the Box near Figueroa and Sunset, right in downtown LA. I dropped him off at the bus stop. I gave him $5 and I said, you know, it's up to you. You just have to take this bus all the way to the blue line. You know, the number one bus that goes down Sunset goes down and you get on the blue Santa Monica bus and he'll get, he can get to Claire. And I then parked around the corner up the hill a little bit and watched him sit at the bus bench. And that, that everything in the song boy at a bus stop is about what I saw him do. I Mm -hmm. saw him bum a cigarette from a lady. 
I saw him sit there. I saw him, you know, contemplating, you know, his life. I saw him, you could see in his body language, like part of him just wanted to go to downtown and get high. He had $5 to start with. So all he's got to do is get three more dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> and Or he can get on the fucking bus and give himself a chance to get to Claire. And, you know, and then I was so, you know, the bus, it took so long, it was like 15 minutes and I had to get somewhere. So I left before he either walked towards downtown or got on the bus. And it turned out he got on the bus, but he then died of drugs later on anyway. His name was Todd Warren. And that song is about him. And, and people think it's about me. It's not. It was just, I was so aware watching him at that bus bench, what he was thinking and feeling. You know, everybody's been on that bus bench. You got a chance, get on the bus, you go to treatment, walk four blocks, you know, bum change out in front of Denny's on Figueroa and get a bag of dope. And I wanted yeah. the choice to be his, right? So, so then there's another song about, it's called It's All Right, that's about this peace that settles over you where you just realize things might not go my way, but they're going to be all right. I might mm -hmm. not get what I want, but it's going to be all right. 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 And then there's another song about proclaiming responsibility for yourself and your actions, which is called tennis shoes. So the whole album is about that first six months of getting sober. And I hope people like it and it'll when, be around. It'll be out. It it'll be, out? It's coming out on September 21st. Right, but so you that's can pre -order, you can pre-order it, and it's got a digital download. I don't want to tell it all away, but there's a bunch of cool shit that comes with it. it, it it's like a double album now on vinyl, and it comes with digital downloads of uh, 21 other songs. It's a really cool package. Oh, that's great, man. Mm -hmm. That's great. And it's called You Come and Go Like a Pop Song because I love this girl, Annie DeFranco. I don't know if you guys ever heard of oh, her. Yeah. She was a great song. Well, is it that she album? Is, really is, it, good. is that the album? Huh? You Come and Go is a, is, isn't no, that uh, The Bicycle Thief album is called You Come and Go Like a Pop Song, but that's a line in one of her songs, and I just loved it. You Come and Go Like a Pop Song. So it's a re-release -re of that album. Yeah, it's a re-release of, of the one and only Bicycle Thief album. With a bunch uh, of live stuff and songs we recorded that didn't make it on the record. It's just a really cool package. And, and uh, the surprise is, I'll just say it to the Don't Die world, the surprise is me and Josh are going to play on September 21st at his house, the entire album live. Nice. So, so you going to do one of those internet things? Yeah, the live internet streaming. I just saw the Dickies do that yesterday, and it was really cool. Really? That's so cool. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever join one of those. <laughs> uh, you know well, you I mean? just might have to on September 21st. Uh, all right. We've gone over time, but that's our recovery music special. Yeah. Really? Chuck's take on it is recovery music sucks. And 
Mike's take on it is. That's not what I said. Mike's take on it is if you write songs and encourage people to take drugs, it's not your fault. Nope. <laughs> All right. You have no moral responsibility if you're still using. <laughs> no. Sounds like you need to go to Al-Anon, Mike Mark. Uh, I've been. You know what? It's like a bunch of women yelling at me. It's like going, going home. It's like, you know, it's like when I was married to my first wife or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.